Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. I'm an organizer and activist. I engage in civil disobedience like 20 times a year. In right. fact, um, the Women's March and our partners are organizing the largest women's civil disobedience this Thursday about ending family separation and ending family detention. And Dr. Martin Luther King warned us about people like Chuck Schumer. He said it's not the, it wasn't the Ku Klux Klan and the white citizen counselors who are the obstacles towards justice. It was the people calling for, quote, civility and people that were telling us when to protest, at what time and how to protest. And I need to let people know that what, when we talk about civility, it is not civil to rip babies from their mothers. It is not civil to break up Muslim families. It is not civil to take away health care from millions of Americans. So you want to talk to me about civility? Let's make sure that we're engaging in justice, ensuring that every American has access to things like health care and housing, that there is no poverty in America, and that children are with their mothers. And I was at the airport yesterday, LaGuardia Airport, and I recorded a video of children, I'm talking between ages five to eight, that were being, uh, that came off a United Airlines flight who are unaccompanied minors. And I am distraught that we live in a country talking about stability, but we don't see the same outrage about that. Wow. Welcome to Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Guess what? Linda Sarsour suddenly cares about the children, y'all. She's got her uh, hijab all wrapped up super, super tight, maybe so tight she can't have synaptic functions operating uh, within normal parameters, but you know, who cares, right? Uh, welcome to the show. We have a fantastic lineup for you today. We have two guests, Caleb Howe, who's the morning editor for Mediaite, also a contributor to PJ Media. He's going to come on and talk to us about um, this, this, this idea that somehow President Trump is participating in bringing forth Osama bin Laden's dream of an epic war with a billion Muslims arrayed against the West, primarily the United States and Israel, and how ridiculous that is. And Caleb Howe is, is not exactly a fan of President Trump's. He's a good friend of mine. I've known him for years, and he's an outstanding writer and thought shaper for the right. And it's going to be a pleasure to chat with him about this. It's that we can agree, but does everyone you disagree with have to be Hitler or a friend of Osama bin Laden's? I don't think so. We'll talk to him about that. And then in hour two, we have Carmine Sabia Jr., Christian conservative political pundit. He's going to come on, talk to us about current events, which big breaking news of the hour of the day, really, I'm sure this is going to be the news of the week, is that Justice Kennedy is retiring. Now, this was expected. We've been speculating about this and talking about it here on the show for at least a year. And it has been between him and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which of the two of them will decide to step down first. And so, you know, we have a lot of, of options here. Um, the president has a list of 25 individuals that's been vetted by Heritage and other conservative organizations. And so he'll probably be pulling from that list. But the question that you might have on your mind, and we'll be discussing it here today, is if the president already has a list chosen, that means the Democrats already have their opposition strategy laid out. And, and I'm certain it has something to do with the fact that the president is still under investigation. But there is no good reason for him not to quickly appoint someone and have them run through the uh, confirmation process and then confirmed. Really, there's no reason. Uh, we need to have them there so that when the next uh, SCOTUS, uh, you know, their, their season, if you will, when it opens in the fall, and they begin to review cases, uh, they have a full uh, slate of judges there who can uh, review the information and, and go through the process. So 
It's interesting to see this announcement come today on the heels of two very interesting court cases that were just decided uh, that we discussed yesterday. And then today, a new case was announced, a, a decision. Uh, Janice, uh, Janice is a case uh, about unions and the right for individuals who work for state governments, local governments, and um, the federal government. Of the, that's the highest percentage of unionized individuals. Less than 10% of people in the private sector are unionized, but in uh, government, meaning your teachers, your firefighters, the people who you interact with when you go down to your municipal center or your little you know, town center, also those who work for the federal government. 35% of those workers are unionized, and the majority of what they give to the unions does go to collective bargaining, but a significant percentage, up to 35% of what is given, is turned over directly to the Democrats 95% of the time. 95% plus percent of union giving uh, at the, the, so the public sector unions, 95% of that money goes to Democratic candidates. So it is a de facto arm of the Democrat Party, and their get-out-the-vote efforts are legendary. If you want to understand how to get out the vote, you should check in with your uh, public sector union-affiliated relative or friend or uh, neighbor because they know how to get out the vote. That is the majority of their effort during the workday. They're actually paid to do union work during the workday, and the union work is not organizing or collective bargaining. Not only They only engage in collective bargaining once every contract period. The majority of the work that they do is selecting candidates, vetting candidates, making sure that people who are block captains and, and do other good work for the get-out-the-vote efforts are prepared. And so it's interesting. Um, and this this whole thing really exposes something to the American public that many, many people just don't know. Uh, if you weren't one of the people who was paying attention when all the video came out from the conference that the National Education Association had in Chicago, where one of their uh, leadership of the NEA said, this, this union doesn't exist to educate kids. We're not here for children. We're here for you. We represent you, and you are our primary subject matter. We work for you. We advocate for you. The union exists for you. So yeah, you're teachers and you teach kids, but the union is for you. It was really a groundbreaking moment because most people assume that teachers are so uh, interested in the education and welfare of their students that a statement like that would be met with shock and disgust. But instead, uh, that person was given a standing ovation. And when the video went viral, they didn't walk it back. They said, what would my primary function as a union leader be other than to represent the membership of my union? And so that doesn't impugn teachers. That doesn't mean teachers don't care about their kids. But it does mean that unions, as they exist, National Education Association especially, they don't take responsibility for the carnage they've wreaked on all of the educational system here in the United States. They don't take responsibility for the lower test scores and higher spending and fewer good results that come out of our public schools. But they do show as a benefit to their membership that teacher pay is on the upswing, benefits are better than they've ever been before, and their retirement packages are fat. So this is, you know, in order to ascertain what's going on with a subject matter, you have to be willing to just sit down and say, look, what is this? It's the National Education Association. Who are they there for? The teachers. What have their results been geared towards teacher pay and advancement and making sure that they have good benefits? And I personally, as a former school board member, I, have no, I see nothing wrong with that. I see nothing wrong with individuals who want to organize into associations or groups advocating for their pay. 
But what I noticed on the public sector side is that there's one person's interests who are missing at that table because as a school board member, I'm there to represent the interests of the school district. Yes, I'm elected by the taxpayers, but there's no one there who's strictly a taxpayer advocate. School board members have elections to think of. Elections mean they have a voter base that kind of dictates what their decisions are going to look like. And if you're in a school district that is run by the NEA and the NEA membership organizes for elections, that means a school board member doesn't really advocate on behalf of taxpayers first. They advocate on behalf of the electorate first, which is comprised of NEA members, which means dual loyalties. So I didn't have that problem in the school district where I was, but I do remember sitting in on the negotiations uh, for the school board. You know, it's when the union bargaining period opens up. And I remember sitting there and thinking that this was so much different than I thought it was going to be. So this this is an important ruling. Um, It doesn't impact private sector unions. So if you're in a union in the private sector, you know, more power to you. Good for you. Excellent work on your behalf. Hope your union is satisfying what you're looking for them to do. But on the public sector side, you can no longer be forced as a condition of employment to join the union and pay dues. Um, I, I, I... that's just no longer something that can happen. So it is a ruling that really benefits workers. And, you know, we can disagree about the the serviceability and the good positive benefits or negative, uh, you know, contraindications of, of having the unions in the public sector and whether or not that's something that we want to see going forward. And just like any political topic, we can all have our own opinions. It doesn't mean anyone's a Hitler or a Nazi, you know, disclaimer, um, no, no cattle cars parked out back of our house, none of that stuff. But this is a great ruling for people such as the plaintiff and so many millions of other people who just don't want to be a part of funding Democratic get-out-the-vote efforts through their pay. Now the landscape will change. Uh, in, in anticipation of this ruling, we've seen a number of states that are heavily unionized, namely New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, and California, have already preemptively struck out when they realize that the Janus ruling, everyone has said from, you know, far and wide, left to right, everyone has anticipated that the Supreme Court would rule on uh, for Janus in this decision. And so preemptively striking out, uh, Governor Cuomo in New York City signed legislation that says that union officials, as a condition of your employment for a public sector job in New York, you have to agree to give out all of your contact information and you have to agree to be contacted by the union during the workday, which was prohibited up until this piece of legislation was passed. And Cuomo made a statement saying that he's doing this because he wants to protect the right for unions to exist and he wants to protect workers. But what this means is before, you know, the union person had to make an appointment with you or take you out to dinner or take you out to coffee, lunch, something like that, away from the workplace. So if you said no, they couldn't really, like they couldn't keep talking to you about it at work. What this means in in New York City and other states uh, may likely try to pass these types of legislation to as a workaround around the Janus SCOTUS decision is that you're never free from union people approaching you and trying to get you to join the union. You're just never free. There's no open period where they can talk to you about it and then it closes and then you can be free to get about your work. It's just constant. You know, it's like the water drop method. How do you crack a, a big stone if you don't have a huge you know, special bit circular saw or some kind of heavy equipment, well, you can drop water on it for a while. It'll take a while, but eventually that rock will break. That's the concept that's uh, being put forward here. And I just, uh, you know, what you strike down one problem, another one pops up in its place. It's like whack-a-mole. But at least with this SCOTUS decision, 
it takes away the the actual impetus. There is no longer a law that can supersede this that can force people to join unions. Um, so I have to talk to you guys today about um, this this new phenomenon that has happened. And, and this is really, I spent a lot of time thinking about this this morning. And I, I think, you know, we've, we've talked so many times here on the show about, about what happens when we as Christians, when people in general, really, because these, these concepts apply to all. When you know that something is wrong and you go for it anyway, maybe you go for it because it's, uh, it, it, the end is justifying the means. You need to do this in order to win. Let's just put it simply. So whatever it is that you're seeking to do, you have some misgivings about it. You may even feel like there's a better way to do it, but you're going to go this route because it's the fastest route to you winning. And that's what we've seen with the Democrats over the past four decades is that they've taken the fastest route to winning. And so when the fastest route to winning was unions, they took that route. When the fastest route to winning was black people and racializing everything, they took that route. And then now it's most recently been refugees and immigration is the fastest route to them winning. We're going to talk about today on the show how the result of that is that the Democrats no longer hew to their traditional ideology, which was very American, very patriotic, very God-fearing, just different than the Republicans. Because they've taken on this socialistic bent, they're now faced with a very stark uh, reality, which is they can never be socialist enough for the people they've imported into the country and the children they've ed- educated over the past 40 years into believing in socialism. The proof of that is in the wave of elections that just passed through last night. They were primary elections, and the most interesting one was in New York City, where a young woman of 28 years old who raised one-tenth of the Democrat that she was primarying, the Democrat being the man who was the successor to the Nancy Pelosi uh, gavel, the minority gavel. He was next in line for that. He'd been in Congress for years, very powerful individual. She primaried him and ran on abolishing ICE, universal health care for all, and the people first, which is socialist talk. She is a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, and she beat him last night. The reverberations of that win are still echoing throughout the country, where Democrats are, they barely care that Kennedy has announced his resignation because something of a shift, a seismic shift, occurred in New York City. And it will continue to occur across the country as people who've been brought up to believe that ideology and demographics are all that matters turn to socialism because they were taught to do so by the Democrats. The ones who taught them these things will be forced out. And that's a new reality for them. So we'll get into that as well. We have uh, more for you coming up after these wonderful messages. Stay there. everyone, I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, we only go to the Holy Land once a year, and that's in March. Last year, we filled up several months in advance. So if you want to go in March of 2019, it's time to look at the details. You can get a brochure from us at 800-FAMILIES, 1-800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your telephone number, or go to TW. 
holyland.com, twholyland.com. It's going to be a wonderful time in Israel. We'll go to the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Holy City of Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Masada, the Dead Sea, and on and on the list goes. If you'd like to go with us in March of 2019, all the information is available at twholyland.com. Order a brochure by calling 800-FAMILIES, option 5. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Recently, I saw a Christian leader being interviewed on television. Now, I was glad this man had had considerable experience in dealing with the secular press. The interviewer asked the leader a few friendly, warm, easy questions at the beginning, but it was a classic ambush. Then in rapid-fire succession, he threw out questions that were really conclusions, demanding wisdom and skill to handle. But God gave the Christian leader not only the ability to avoid the trap, but also to present a very inviting and appealing witness for Christ. I really was glad this man knew what he was doing. This is a reminder that not everybody has honest, good intentions. Some people are so driven by getting what they want that they'll resort to scheming to make it happen. Now, to be strategic in our approach to life and to accomplishing our objectives is not wrong. We ought to be wise and with how we approach things. We're to be shrewd, but not dishonest. Shrewd, but not manipulative. Deception and dishonesty in order to get what you want is flat-out sin. From Genesis to Revelation, God really has strong things to say about deception and manipulation. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, God lists these schemers as part of what he hates. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and here it is in verse 18, and a heart that devises wicked plans. Did you get that? God says that he hates a heart that devises wicked plans. Sinful means are never justified, even if the goal is pure. Here's what I want you to remember and do today. Don't scheme. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. ICE's job is to keep us safe and follow that. Go ahead. What's the problem? Sure. That's the misinformation that's out there, right? The president keeps saying we're doing this to stop all the crime, all the MS-13. I think it was 228 people uh, at the end of the last fiscal year out of over 300,000 that came to the border were MS-13. So, again, he's taking an entire group of people and branding them as criminals, which is just false. How many people, how many many illegals, Congressman, how many illegals have you captured? So either the president how many, is grossly how many people uninformed, have you down on? the most uninformed president since I've been on the planet okay, we're 53 talking years, we're talking he's about not ice. telling us we're the talking truth. About ice. No, you want to get rid of people, the problem. you want to give people that are putting their lives on the line, making an average $61,000, and telling them, you told me in the break, their brand has been so damaged. Their brand is keeping America safe, cracking down they're, on they're illegals brand, here, Brian, and you seem more not... concerned about illegals than you are about the men and women who decide to go through the academy, and qualify for ICE. Okay, so, Brian, that was a great morning dose of rhetoric. You did a great job on that. Well, but that's the your review is, of what criminals, I said. Those cold Brian, facts. you got to let me talk. Okay. 
So what I'm saying is we're not going after the average criminal. What you're supposed to do is go after people who pose a real threat. It was created after 9-11 with the main focus being around people who might have terrorist activity. Now we're going after people with a traffic violation uh, at a church or at a workplace. That doesn't make any sense. So the president's using it as his own police force. That is something that's completely wrong. Opinion. You have no, no that's stats, the facts, Brian. Brian. And you decide that you have, an, you, you have something you think you can run on while you're diminishing <laughs> the credibility of people putting their lives on a daily basis to allow to go crack down on illegals amongst us. Why do you care about more, more about illegals and their safety and welfare than American safety and welfare? Oh, my goodness. So much there to unpack. So let's just run it down real quick. Welcome back to the show. Urban Family Talk, American Family Radio. Fantastic to be with you today. Oh, yeah, it's hump day. It's Wednesday. So you're halfway through the week. If you love going through the week, then you're probably feeling a little reticent. You don't want the week to end. If you're looking forward to the weekend, you're like, woohoo, halfway there and keep chugging along. Either way, it's Wednesday. So what we have going on now is this. ah, So it's Brian Kilmeade and this Democrat, and he is making the case for basically saying if if Immigration and Customs Enforcement is prosecuting people for being in the country illegally only. So they violate a traffic ticket. They're they're speeding, whatever. And, you know, goodness knows we all have those moments. Nobody is immune to making a mistake. But what he's saying is you shouldn't be deported because of that. Well, here's the problem with what he's saying. No one's being deported because they've run a red light or they have, you know, a, a ticket. They're being deported because they're in the country illegally. So the president prioritizing deportation based upon you being in the country illegally as opposed to you being a MS-13 machete-beheading person is absolutely ludicrous. The president should be able to have ICE follow the directives of what's in the law, period. Period. Have you ever, like, I, I wonder, could I say, you know, if I get pulled over for speeding, could I say, but... I was only speeding. It's not like I'm in the country illegally. Don't prosecute. I mean, you can't give me a ticket for that. You can't give me a ticket for just speeding. I need to be doing something like beheading someone in order for you to actually do anything. Just let me go. How do you think that'd go over? I can tell you now it's not going to go over well. There is no police officer. Now, they might let you go with the warning if you have a good demeanor and you, you know, you just get the luck of the draw. But most of the time they can't let you off with the warning because they have to track every time they pull someone over and they have to have a certain number of tickets that they write for the number of people that they pull over. So the fact that they're pulling you over means they're probably going to have to give you a ticket. I mean, I remember getting off with the warning a lot when we lived in Florida. I was younger. I had a Ford Mustang. I was a little bit of a speed demon. Um, all I had to do was be in uniform and smile and say, what seems to be the problem, officer? Like that. And they would always say, you were speeding. And I'm like, was I? I? I'm not sure. And he'd say, you were going this and that. That's above the speed limit. And then I would say, I'm sorry about that. It's just such good weather, isn't it? And then the officer would say, it is. Get out of here. But slow down. I'm watching you. And then I would, you know, get off. No ticket. We moved to the Midwest. I tried that garbage. First of all, they, the state troopers in Missouri, they don't even smile. They're just like, I see your driver's and registration, please. Like, yes. What seems to be the problem? You were exceeding the speed limit by eight miles an hour. I'm like, oh, are you aware that the speed limit in this area is 65? Uh, I don't remember seeing a sign. Signs are posted, ma'am. See you in a minute. <laughs> Go back to the back, write your ticket, come back, give you the ticket. No, no, no joking around, no smiling, nothing. So, but the point is, it doesn't matter 
whether I'm smiling or not smiling or, 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 or speeding five over or eight over or 15 over, it doesn't matter. What matters is if law enforcement chooses to prosecute for something, it's your job to stay within the realm of not breaking the law or suffer the consequences. And that doesn't mean I don't have any sympathy for people. That's, this, this isn't about sympathy. But when he says, and this, this is the last point I'm going to make on this, because we have a lot of content to get through since we have this new breaking news that we're, we're going to have to discuss. We're going to have to unpack um, the, the retirement and their, Mitch McConnell's issued a statement. So I'm going to get to that. So just, just let me wrap it up by saying this. The most ridiculous thing that he said in that audio clip is that only 258 MS-13 members entered the country. I guarantee you that if we go and look up the Remembrance Project or any one of these organizations that helps families after their children have been killed by illegal immigrants, and we talk to them and say, uh, your child was killed by MS-13, and if that, that group of MS-13, that eight or nine individuals who kidnapped your child and raped them and then killed them hadn't been here, your child would still be with you. I guarantee you they would go and forcibly protest in the face of that Democrat by saying, but if they weren't here, then my kid would still be here. You See how that works? So his statements were not just ridiculous. They're the kind of thing that he should be unseated for that. He should be unseated for saying that only 283 MS-13 made it into the country. Those 283 MS-13 probably contributed to a huge spike in crime in the areas that they ended up in. And the deaths and carnage that are directly connected to those guys now rest with that guy because he feels like it's no big deal that they're here. Sorry, that's, that's just the truth. So let's talk about Mitch McConnell's statement, and then we have a little bit more audio for you. Um, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says the Senate will vote in this fall on the new Supreme Court justice to replace retiring Justice Anthony Kennedy. Now, it's interesting, side note, when I was reading up on this, when the news broke, oh, my email box started filling up and I started reading the links and everything. And it was fascinating because Reason.com does um, periodic reviews of the decisions and opinions that the Supreme Court justices make. And they found that Neil Gorsuch is actually to the left of Anthony Kennedy based on the opinions that have been issued by Neil Gorsuch in comparison with the, the opinions that have been issued by Anthony Kennedy in this session. So that's just to go to show you that there are so many different ways that uh, the justices can rule on different individual issues. And it depends really largely on, uh, obviously, their opinion on it, what case law is more impactful to their decision, and where they see themselves going, not just in that session, but in their entire jurist career, like the the entirety of their time on the bench, the decisions that they've made. And and it kind of creates a a doctrine or a path, a way that people see them and view them in the end. And uh, I want to point that out to you because I don't want you to forget that Neil Gorsuch, even though he's considered to be the new conservative, he replaces Antonin Scalia, that if Anthony Kennedy is to the right of Neil Gorsuch for this particular session, then the idea that Democrats will put forward, you'll start to hear those calls within the next few hours. In the next 24 hours, you'll start to hear Democrats say, that a conservative justice in Neil Gorsuch has already been appointed. And now, in order to reflect the populace of the United States, a conservative judge would be too much for the American people. What we need is someone who's a moderate. And any moderate judge is really a liberal. There are no moderate judges. There are the liberals, and then there's the conservatives. That's all there is. But the Democrats are going to try, by hook or by crook, any means necessary, whether it's saying that President Trump can't appoint someone because he's just two two shakes of a, a doggy tail from being impeached, or 
that it, for some reason, a conservative judge appointed by Donald Trump, that just isn't fair to the American people. So watch out for those arguments. They're going to come. They're, they're, they're coming on down the pipeline. Um, and now I want to flip over to, um, and this is the wrap up. This is, this is the remainder. What, what we now have is proof that Sarah Huckabee Sanders' father, former governor of Arkansas, um, Mike Huckabee, the story that he told on Fox News has now been validated because they went to Lexington, Virginia, and they've interviewed the bed and breakfast owner of the bed and breakfast that Sarah Huckabee Sanders and her husband and their children and their extended family on her husband's side were staying at. They were staying at this bed and breakfast and visiting Lexington. And while they were there, they traveled from the bed and breakfast. They went to dinner at the Red Hen. They were served the cheese board and their drinks. And then Sarah was asked to leave. She said, I will leave. Would you like me to pay? They said, no, don't pay. Just you have to leave. Not your whole party, but you. She left with her husband. They got in their car and drove back to the bed and breakfast. And that's when some very interesting things began to happen. Let's listen to number three. The restaurant, whose owner asked the president's press secretary to leave over the weekend, will remain closed for several more days. That owner has also now just resigned from a local business organization there. Meanwhile, many in the small Northern Virginia community fear their business may now suffer. Correspondent Doug McKelway is in Lexington again tonight. Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee are both buried in Lexington, Virginia. Reminders that some civil wars are not as soft as the one Lexington is experiencing today. Numerous shop owners refuse to talk to us about the Red Hen controversy, wary that if you take a side, you risk alienating half your customers. It's very painful for me what's happening in this country. The meanness, and I'm sorry, I'm liberal, but I'm not happy with those that are mouthing off on either side. I hope you're not only just talking to the people that supported this woman, what she did is really an embarrassment to all of us. The Red Hen's owner, Stephanie Wilkinson, was also, until today, the executive chair of an influential business group here, Main Street Lexington. She resigned from that post this afternoon, according to published reports. After Sarah and her husband left and the family relocated to a restaurant across the street, the owner of the Red Hen then organized an effort to go and scream at them from the sidewalk at the other restaurant. So... That's the part of this story that really is disturbing because with the restaurant owner, the owner of the Red Hen coming out and saying that she would do it again, you're probably thinking, oh, she would ask her to leave again. And that in and of itself, you know, regardless of political ideology, asking someone to leave your place, uh, your establishment, your place of business. Um, we're not talking about rudeness. We're talking about her right to do it under the law. No sh shirt, no shoes, no service. She has the right to ask someone to leave as long as she's not doing so because of their ethnic background their country of national origin, or their race or, or other innate characteristic. So federal law does not bar her from asking someone to leave the restaurant. So if she says, I would do that again, then you could say, oh, yeah, you know, not a big deal. But then you look a little closer and you hear the rest of the story. Oh, my goodness. She left her own restaurant, gathered people. She texted and got a bunch of people together, went across the street to the restaurant they went to. Now she's out of bounds. These people have left. She asked them to leave. She, they left. Sarah Huckabee Sanders and her husband went home with no dinner. And what is she doing? She's going to follow them and harass them in the next location. So let's listen to uh, the remainder of this. It's, it's, it's number four. Huckabee's story confirmed by the man who hosted the Sanders family at his bed and breakfast. It's just an unfortunate situation, uh, you know, because I guess... Again, if if you're trying to make a statement, you know, um, 
make the statement. Don't keep screaming it, you know, and follow people or, or what have you. 200 miles to the north, a congressman who was nearly killed by a gunman with extremist views knows how far such incivility can go. I know firsthand we've got to be real careful about how we discuss our differences. The great part of America is that we can discuss our differences freely and openly, but we also have a responsibility to make sure that we're not trying to incite others to violence. More Democrats are joining Senate Minority Leader Schumer's call for civility. A spokesman for Virginia Democratic Senator Tim Kaine told the Richmond Times-Dispatch that he, quote, believes in civility and respect from everyone are important to a functioning democracy. We're told that the Red Hen restaurant, which had been scheduled to reopen at 5 o'clock this afternoon, will now remain closed until July 5th. And for the first time, as you can see, we are seeing protests here today. They're winding down right now. Only one arrest thus far. A Donald Trump supporter threw a bucket of chicken manure in the direction of the building. He was promptly arrested. Okay. So this validates the the story about her following over and it really kind of wraps up the 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 idea here. I don't agree with people throwing buckets of chicken manure. I think the people who are over there protesting the restaurant are getting what they want out of it. The restaurant has not reopened. The woman has materially damaged her standing in the community and she's going to have difficulty with keeping the business staff because with only half of your customer base coming in because they now know what your political ideology is and they disagree with the stand that you took. You have to have that half of the populace who would visit your restaurant visit twice as much. I mean, do you, do you get what I'm saying here? These people are literally the ones who make a stand against half of the, po- the voting population, half of the dollars out there available to buy their product are making a stand that will hurt their bottom line eventually. Because if you're saying only liberals can come eat here, then only liberals will come eat there. But liberals aren't only going to eat at the Red Hen. Sure, in the beginning, liberals will eat there and eat there and eat there. But after a while, you're going to want something else. Who hasn't had the best pot pie in the world, which in my opinion, the best chicken pot pie out there, if you're going to buy one, is at Whole Foods. They make a a pot pie in-house with their own recipe that you can bring home and you bake it in the oven for 40 minutes and then you eat it. And I think it's the most amazing pot pie that exists in the world today. That's not made by like somebody at their house. But am I going to eat that pot pie twice as often as I normally would if Whole Foods says they're not going to serve liberals? No, I'm just going to eat as much pot pie as I want to eat. And then after that, you know, I mean, it, no offense, but I just don't, I'm not going to eat twice as much pot pie. Why would I do that? It's, it's actually kind of fattening. Like, it's a treat. So this is not a smart tactic for them to be taking. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. I understand you're mad, but come on. Like, if you're a business owner, you got to be mad on your private time because you got employees. You have people who work for you who need you to make smart choices. Anyway, when we get back, we're going to have Caleb Howe. He's the morning editor for Mediaite and contributor to PJ Media. Stay right there. I just thank God for the Holy Ghost. If you will let him, he really will teach you all things. Have you ever made an excuse to someone why you were unable to do something or why you couldn't attend a certain event instead of just being honest and telling them you just were not interested? I think many of us have. Well, that's lying. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 17 says, an honest witness tells the truth. A false witness tells lies. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1 in one translation says, dishonesty in business disgusts the eternal. It disgusts God. But fair dealing delights him. 
False witness utters lies. Be faithful and consistent with being honest with others. Stop with the excuses and be truthful. There is freedom when our integrity and character reflects our Savior, Jesus Christ. What seems little to us are big to Him. With our heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Victory McIntosh. Connect with us more at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. Hi, I'm Calvin. I grew up in the projects, and my mama warned me about drugs and gang, but I didn't listen. But now I'm drug-free. My mama can't thank Teen Challenge enough for turning her son around. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Yo, 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 what up, Seth? Yo, what's up, Mike? How you doing? Man, I'm good, bro. Just let the club, you know, <laughs> the usual. The club? Man, them clubs don't love back, man. You ain't learned yet. You better slow down, dude. Ah, come on, Seth. You remember those days. We used to turn up together, man. Used to. Used to, brother. I'm on something much different. Like what, though? I mean, that Jesus music you be rapping about or beatboxing or whatever you be doing. I'm saying, though, that's how I worship. God gave me rap, so I give it back. Why, though? Gospel rap is boring, man. Boring? There's nothing boring about the ransom that ransomed me with himself. Took me off the shelf to transform me into my best. Surrounding me with those of like minds, he drops bombs. Some of which is found on UrbanFamilyTalk.com. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, it's hump day. It's also woohoo. Justice Kennedy is retiring day. <laughs> A de facto holiday for all of us who want to see another conservative appointed to the court and love the list of nominees that are uh, in the hopper that the president has already uh, produced for us to take a look at. Months and months and months and months ago, even before he was actually uh, sworn in as president. So it's my pleasure to welcome our next guest, Caleb Howe, morning editor for Mediaite. He's also a contributor to PJMedia.com and uh, overall thought leader on the right and, and really a moderate voice who often opposes the president intelligently, um, but is not afraid to also say kudos to the president when he deserves it. Caleb, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, so let's talk about this. We've got uh, MSNBC's Steve Schmidt spewing this theory that President Trump and the Supreme Court of the United States are actually fulfilling Osama bin Laden's vision in upholding what is a travel ban against a number of countries, not just Muslim nations. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's really unbelievable that the quote... He actually called it a fantastic fulfillment of Osama bin Laden's vision by Donald J. Trump. You know, little pomp and circumstance that he slapped on there for his prepared remarks. 
on MSNBC. Uh, Schmidt is formerly a Republican strategist, and he recently made a lot of news when he said uh, he was done with the Republican Party. Mm, uh, okay. You know, basically because of Donald Trump. And I get it. Um, there, there are certain things people just won't tolerate, and everyone has a right to be uh, affiliated with whatever, whatever party they want. But sure. I feel like the, the point that you're making in your piece is that there's danger in saying there's, there's, this, isn't, this isn't factual, and there's danger in that. There is, right. Well, I mean, the problem is uh, there's a number of problems with what he said. There's the surface problem, which is that it's just uh, it's just an incorrect and terrible thing to say about an American president overall. Uh, but it's it's specifically wrong about the case uh, that that was handed down yesterday, the decision that was handed down yesterday, which wasn't even really a judgment on the travel ban at all. So to call to say in the wake of the decision that that what happened in the Supreme Court was a fulfillment, and that's what his implication is there. It's not just. You know, it's not just Trump, it's the Supreme Court justices uh, who voted, um, who handed down their decision, have also uh, fulfilled Osama bin Laden's vision. So it is a really, you know, a really strange and awful thing to say uh, on the second level. And then on the third level, of course, the philosophical underpinnings of his argument are completely faulty. It's it's logically unsound. You don't you don't make decisions about foreign policy based on whether or not you're contributing to the wish fulfillment of some bad actor who wishes you harm. So overall, just a really terrible, awful thing to say, and clearly, clearly designed, you know, to provoke outrage and I think, you know, to seal the seal with a kiss is uh, I'm done with the Republican Party. Mm. And so this, this, to me, kind of smacks of a career move for him, you know, solidifying right. his place at MSNBC. I mean, you know, not, not that we don't all do things to advance our careers and that, you know, you can't say something honestly and then also have it advance your career. I mean, these, these are not mutually exclusive things, but right. he, he's in his statement. Um, and, and I have your piece up at PJ Media, and I'll put in all those streams on, on Facebook and YouTube and Periscope and all that uh, so people can read it. And it's a great piece. Caleb really takes apart this ridiculousness that he, he put out. Um, and the video is also on there, so you can watch it for yourself. But there, there's, a, there's a continuing pattern here. And the pattern is Trump does something liberals don't like. Sometimes uh, Republicans don't like it either. But on the left, immediately, the go-to now is Trump's a Nazi. Trump is Hitler. Trump knows where actual Hitler is and will appoint him to the next vacancy on the Supreme Court. Trump is... Somehow, Nazi Hitler, Hitler Nazi, you know, death camps, cattle cars, etc. And now they've advanced that to anyone who supports him or works for him is also Hitler, Nazi, Hitler, Nazi, racist, white supremacist, right. etc. And not allowed to have dinner. Oh, yeah. No dinner for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's remarkable. Uh, it's like he wanted to jump on the, let's call everybody DSS bandwagon, but he wanted to do a slight odd variation. The argument he's making is one that I've heard many times. I used to hear it all the time under Obama, which is, you know, it, we, we have people in this country who thinks that you have to craft your foreign policy and your, your position in the world based on how other people are going to react to it as opposed to what's in your best interest to the extreme that we will do something against our interests as a nation, against our own citizens' interests in order to satisfy the the desire not to fulfill the wish or provoke the outrage uh, of some bad outside actor. This, we see this constantly, the appeasement of uh, foreign 
interests, uh, in, you know, in American politics. I really find it terrible, but it, it, what's funny to me also is it is, and uh, I, I know this may alienate some people in the audience, but it is also the kind of argument that I heard a lot during the Republican primaries, which was uh, when someone would oppose Trump, someone like Steve Schmidt, for example, uh, you would see a lot of people who were fans of, the, of, of President Trump, but then candidate Trump, say to uh, Eric Erickson, for example, you know, you're trying to get pats on the head from liberals. You're trying to do something. You, they're never going to like you. They're never going to give you credit for being fair-minded, so there's no point in doing it. And I, it's really kind of the same philosophy to me, which is that you should decide what's right based on how other people are going to react to it instead of just basing it on whether or not what you're doing is right. You know, so I'm, I'm hoping people aren't getting mad by that because what, what, I, what I enjoy is when I can actually have a conversation surrounding, uh, in, whether it's a policy or supporting a candidate or what have you, that doesn't involve me being demonized or name-called for holding my views. And so I, I really, I never, I never bought into that. I never bought into the idea that people just wanted to get validation. People who had been solidly on the right previously now wanted validation from the left, and that's why they were attacking uh, then-candidate Trump. I always right. took it to be that they didn't really want him to be the president. They preferred someone else. Uh, I was right. actually I mean, myself. A, a lot of it was especially that. It, it was a contentious yeah. primary. And a big part of it was just everybody had their own candidate. And there I, were so you know, many. Some people don't remember, but it, it was this way before. It was that, that way in 2008. The, the it was. war between the, the various GOP candidates who were trying to become the nominee was pretty severe. It was. And and we see it now. Like, if you're anywhere in America right now, there's a primary going on where you are for something. And and it could be for uh, attorney general or it could be for the Senate races, whatever. And people have their candidates. And I've seen some of the most interesting behavior, which I always forget. Like, it's almost like how the, the pain of childbirth. Once you've had the baby, you forget right. until the next one. You're like, ooh, right. I forgot how horrible this was. I'm glad I'm getting a yeah. baby out of it because I, I want this to stop. The primary is exactly. like that. I always forget how horrible it is until the yes. next one. And someone I know is either like looning out and literally making me feel like I hate you or they're, they're, they're doing things that I'm like, I've never seen you behave this way before. And they're like, it's the that's primary, right. you know, that's it, it like really a boggles your mind sometimes. So we, uh, yeah. you know, I've, I've been writing about politics for about 14 years, um, 10 years on the front page at Red State. And that was a community website. Uh, which means, you know, we had a dedicated user base that could comment. You had to be a member, and then they could also submit diaries. So everybody knew everybody's name, and we always dreaded the approaching mm -hmm. primary season because all these people who were friends arguing about uh, policy and George Bush or uh, Barack Obama are suddenly at each other's throats because one of them likes, you know, candidate X and the other one likes candidate Y. Yeah, I, I, my hope is that... so. As we watch the left continue down a path that not only is un-American, but is untenable, the uh, vilification of people in their private public spaces um, outside of where they work, uh, and, and that idea has caught hold, and now you have hardcore leftist activists like Linda Sarsour and others criticizing Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer for finally once in their lives right. doing the right thing and denouncing uh, Maxine Waters. And as we see that, we're, this is a part of our culture that is being radicalized to a point that harkens back to the 70s when Bernadine Dorn and, and Ayers were out setting bombs, 2,000 bombs in, in that decade across America, and all of it driven by political differences. And so right. 
domestic terrorism. That's what we're pushing towards. And this is a country that we always have, however rancorous our language may be, we were always peaceful. When we change power, no one dies. There are never any coups. We just agree to be governed by people we think are actual nincompoops for four or two years or six <laughs> years or however many times. Then, then we, right. we try to win the next time. So, uh, you know, I, I'm wondering what you feel like, especially with someone like uh, Schmidt, um, someone that, you know, I, I would have said was a respectable, clear-thinking individual. Where do you sure, see this yeah. going? Well, I'll tell you, you've, you've used the exact right word. It's untenable. Uh, it, you have to be able to divorce yourself from the emotion of being irritated with the other person and realize that what's happening right now can't be sustained no matter how you feel about the other person. It just can't be sustained. Even back starting in 1968, which, by the way, the leftist movement wants to recreate. That was actually the name of their protest movement in 2008, was Recreate 68. Um, starting back in 1968 up through 1980 until, God bless America, Ronald Reagan came around. Um, it, even then, it couldn't be sustained. It, it, it's, a, uh, it's an impossible thing to indefinitely maintain a society where people are 100% committed to being at each other's throats, not just rhetorically, but in actual fact, uh, you know, confronting people at their homes, confronting people at, at restaurants, um, separate dining, separate schools, separate media, separate everything. You just can't, you can't maintain that forever. It can't be done. So it is well, untenable. Right. I, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because I'm, I'm looking for someone, you know, out there to acknowledge that that level of outrage, it's the kind of outrage level that if you maintain it, you get PTSD or you get ulcers or you get cancer or you have a heart attack. Like, we just right. can't all be that mad all the time. Right. Yeah, it can't be done. I mean, you, as an individual person and as groups of people as, and, and the disinterested, then, you know, they get fatigued from this sort of thing and they lose interest in the political process. Bad decisions are made as a consequence of the average American losing interest in the political process. Faith is lost in the institutions of the United States, the things that we rely on to provide for our defense, our uh, criminal justice system, the things that we rely on to protect our rights, to enforce the Constitution. These are all institutions that we should have confidence in. Once you lose confidence in the political system entirely, you lose confidence in every other facet of government. And as much as it is a conservative impulse to distrust the actors in government and to hope for a small government to limit the consequences of bad decisions, you also have to have the confidence that America operates and functions as a, as a unit that works, as a machine that is functioning. And once you stop believing that, once you start believing that it's all over and war is inevitable and we're just going to tear each other apart, uh, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, and the other part of it that doesn't make any sense to me is that the people who are advocating for attacking and group mobbing individuals are the ones who don't believe in guns, and they're advocating for mobbing and attacking people in public who do believe in carrying guns. So you That's know, right. it's, and it's, it's because ridiculous. what they have, what they have is a rationale in them that says that what they're doing is virtuous by nature of the reason for which they're doing it. They don't attach any significant moral uh, implications to the action itself, but only to the thing upon which that action is being taken, the premise upon which you're taking the action. So it's not that harassing someone is wrong in and of itself. It's wrong if you're harassing the wrong person. That is likewise a totally untenable position because eventually, even within that movement, they'll come to disagree 
about who is and who is not fair game. I think they're already at that point. And, and uh, you know, that seems the only thing that seems to, t- to calm them down is when innocents are killed or, or, or injured, such as uh, Steve Scalia and the other Republicans on that baseball field last year or the five officers who were gunned down by sniper fire during the Black Lives Matter protests or the numerous individuals whose names have never been lifted up to national media who've been injured in these horrible Antifa riots. Um, right. It seems like they need to see some blood before they realize, whoa, I think we've gone too far. Right. Well, um, well, I think part of the what's going on there is we've been lucky enough to have people who've been around longer uh, and and saw the consequences of action in the 60s and 70s and are able to be uh, what Chuck Schumer was, which is someone who can say across the aisle, wait, 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 slow down. Mm-hmm. Let's not do that. But the problem is when they're not there to rein in people like Linda Sarsour anymore, then what happens? Oh. I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm certainly glad you're out there now over at Media Eye, which is, um, you know, so to speak, the enemy territory, but you're holding it your is. own over there. I read your pieces all the time over there. So uh, congratulations on landing well um, after Red State. And thank you so much for taking time out. I know you're busy to join in the program today. I put the link no, up. I, I'll tweet I it out. It. I've always been a big fan of yours. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate you coming on and I hope to have you back again soon to talk more. Uh, I, I love it when someone can critically uh, speak about, you know, the, the, the president is hugely popular on the right, hugely unpopular on the left, and you inhabit a kind of middle ground where you, you're you not a fan, but you're not, uh, you know, ter- Trump derangement syndrome. And that's a fascinating position. Thank you, Caleb, for, uh, for your time today. Sure. All right. Talk to you again soon. That's the music. That's our one. We're back with our two right after this. Stay there. <laughs> 